You said you were alone. Sometimes the little animals come in and go all over the place. They're awfully naughty. Dad, she's been in an asylum for 15 years. She must be cured. She was a cannibal. I'm sorry? I can't put it more daintily than that, I'm afraid. The fact is, she ate people. Oh, that woman has had enough of my time already. I'm not going to let her wreck my love life as well. Oh, God, we went there last night. I ate that place. What's that? I'm not going to let Gaff. I think I'll go home. I'll let you lift. Do what you want, but don't hang around. The law's coming. One look and I know it all. And perhaps you'd like to tell me. Perhaps you'd like to tell me. Perhaps I wouldn't. Delia, what have you been doing to them? Hi, this is Larry Zerner from Friday the 13th Part 3, and you're listening to The Hysteria Continues. And indeed you are. Welcome back. Uh, it's episode 272, and this time we're headed back to the shores of merry old England, uh, to the mid-70s, uh, for a fright- frightfully, hopefully frightfully good time with Beat Walker's proto-slasher Nasty Frightmare. Uh, not to be confused with the American Frightmare from 1981 or 82. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is, am I right in thinking this is the first Pete Walker film we've covered? I think it made, is. Mm, which is surprising. I think we probably, his, um, I'm sure his films came up uh, quite a bit when we covered the top three of the 1970s on Patreon. But um, yeah, I can't remember who wrote in, and so apologies for that, but uh, suggesting we cover Frightmare, and I'm surprised we hadn't covered it, because it's one of my favourite movie, British horror movies from the 1970s, um, and obviously it remains to be seen if it uh, is a hit with you guys as well, uh, although I suspect it might be. But uh, anyway, before we get on to the grisly business of Frightmare, uh, how are we doing this fine morning? Uh, Eric? Yes, I'm looking forward to running with this title, Pete Walker. Oh dear. You, you only did that it's because you know that I my computer's broken so I can't get to the soundboard and make sort of a disparaging sound effects what? to your uh, bad uh, comments. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I think bad um, jokes. You dirty nun <laughs> That sums up my feelings. I could be an asshole and add them in post. Yeah, well, that'd be good, actually, if you wouldn't mind. Hopefully th- hopefully things will be back to normal next week when I hopefully have a new computer. But anyway, we're just we're muddling through. So, um, and, uh, well, Joseph, uh, how are you doing? Hey. Hey, is that uh, is that start of a Pixie song, isn't it? Well, it's also uh, where she hides all the corpses in this film. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true indeed. So, uh, yeah. And uh, Nathan, have you ever played with a tarot set? Uh, no. When I worked in a video store, though, a guy uh, did come into the video store once and handed us all these tarot cards. And he's like, do me a favor and just throw these away. Ooh. How odd. Yeah, it was a very odd situation. We always kind of tried to guess like what it was about. Like, did he have a bad experience? Did they belong to someone and he was tired of it? Why? Why a video store? Why would you want to throw him away at the video store? It was just weird. Like he came in and he had them in his hand and just like kind of gave it to us. And then, yeah, just said, "Will you throw these away. It was very odd. We won't take that uh, comment out of uh, context. (laughs) Not at all. I was just giggling to myself here. He had it in his hands and he gave it to us. Yes. Oh, well, how dare you all? (laughs) 
So, uh, yeah, I told you, I, I'm sure I've mentioned that story, haven't I, that I used to, um, my mum used to, uh, we're talking about tarots because um, the uh, they play quite heavily in the um, Frightmare, which we'll get onto uh, later. But I told you all that I used to, my mum had a pack of tarot um, uh, back when we were kids and I used to t- read the, the tarot of my brother and, younger brother and sister. So I'd always get Death, the Hanging Man and all the, the nasty ones on top and I'd always read and tell them they'd be dead by next week. What a lovely brother. You're a selfish relative. I know, I know. Well, they're still um, around, you know, so it didn't work. It reminds me of, um, and I know that uh, Joe and maybe Eric too will know this, but The Simpsons, when Lisa goes to the uh, tarot woman and she's turning them over and like one of them is uh, the happy squirrel and she's like, <gasps> the happy squirrel. And she just specializes in telling fortunes where people get jerked around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, well, anyway, we'll be talking more tarot later and obviously covering on the main the main feature is Pete Walker's Frightmare, as I've already said about a thousand times. But before we get onto that, let's have a little chat about what we've been watching in the last uh, couple of weeks since we last recorded. So, Eric, anything you want to tell us about? No. No? No. No. Okay. Really no. I've had no time to watch anything apart from podcast movies. Okay. Well, fair enough. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Um, well, I watched two things. Uh, the first one I was, was a rewatch. Um, I just happened to want to rewatch Suspiria, so I rewatched it last night, and I quite enjoyed it. Well, that's um, that's kind of fitting, Nathan, because if I remember correctly, you weren't on our Suspiria episode. Was I not? I don't think so. Oh well, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I highly enjoy Suspiria. It's um, it's not quite my favorite Argento movie, but it's definitely in the top, you know, like five, maybe top three. Uh, I'd have to sit down and actually think about it. But, um, yeah, great film. Um, you know, uh, I, I love the scene where they're all like because, you know, the maggots have come down onto them um, and they end up having to all room together in the, a room. Uh, like a gym or something. I don't know that they're all rooming together. And uh, when they wake up in the middle of the night and behind the curtain, they can hear the breathing of, uh, is it Helena Marcus? I thought that was a really good scene. Very creepy, eerie. Um, and the other thing I watched since we're on this, uh, Pete Walker, uh, you know, I, I was kind of on a Pete Walker kick ever when I watched Frightmare I wanted to watch something else, so I watched The Confessional. I guess I think it's AKA The Confessional Murders, where um, it's Pete Walker's movie about the killer priest who is like killing the parishioners um, of his church. Um, and I, I quite liked it. Um, I thought the ending to it, and I don't want to spoil it, but I thought the ending to it was phenomenal. Like, it kind of ends on a cliffhanger, but um, it really works for the movie, in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I loved it, too. And I'm sure that we'll probably cover it at some point. You know, so I won't go too far into detail except to say that I really enjoyed it as well. Was it a first time watch for you, The Confessional Murders? Um, I feel like I had seen it before, but I didn't remember anything about it. So if if that's the case, then it was like a first time watch for me. Cool. Okay. And of course, with the, well, we'd, um, uh, we won't, uh, obviously, we'll talk a bit more about some of the other, other movies, considering we haven't, because I mean, there's at least, I mean, 
This is a flesh and blood show, isn't there? Which is very much like a proto slasher, the one with the killer actor on the end of the pier bumping off ladies with not many clothes on. Uh, then obviously, um, House of Mortal Sin isn't really a, a slasher movie at all, but uh, obviously, Frightmare, then The Confessional Murders, Schizo, um, and The Comeback are all kind of prime for us to cover at some point, I would have thought. Agreed. Excellent. Okay. Uh, right. Well, um, any th- did he say, oh, did you say is, that was just your other one you saw? Yeah, that was my other one. Okay. And Joseph, am I right in thinking you caught up with a film that we'd seen last time? Yeah, I actually saw two films this week too. Um, the first being Barbarian after uh, Justin and Eric's glowing recommendations on the Open House episode. But um, I think I dislike this more than you two. Uh, the writing is consistently frustrating and poor. You know, it leans heavily on both that that disbelieving idiot trope and a kind of a fractured back and forth narrative device that I think it raises more questions than it answers. Um, I, I won't go over too much of the setup except to say it involves an Airbnb that isn't what it seems. But I will say that the characters, you know, they they frequently make questionable decisions in order to drive the plot, and I hate. I hate that. I hate that in movies. It really drives me crazy. It's lazy. Um, I mean, it's pretty typical in horror films, sure, but I felt that Barbarian didn't provide enough context with the plot to justify the characters' actions. And frankly, I just didn't find the characters interesting or very likable. Um, the uh, the world building and you know the would-be character pathos just felt sloppy to me. Uh, the central threat, which I, I won't spoil, that was admittedly freaky stuff and frankly belongs in a better movie. Um, I mean, there's some great cinematography here and the build up to that first reveal in the, I mean, I'm trying not to spoil it too much. The, um, the first reveal in the basement is moderately engaging, but you know, once it becomes clear that there is indeed a threat, I, I don't know. It just felt very emperor's new clothes, you know, ending in a big fat, nothing of a closer. I mean, it's certainly watchable, but yeah, you guys were right on the money saying it was just way overhyped and way too long at nearly two hours. So I I don't get the hype for Barbarian. I didn't enjoy it all that much. Okay. Well, uh, Nathan, are you, have you seen it yet? Uh, yeah, actually, it was part of my recently seen uh, in the open house episode as well. Oh, it was. Okay. So apologies. But uh, so, uh, well, thank you, um, uh, Joseph. Any, anything else? Yeah, the other movie I saw, and I know Eric has seen this, and it's one that's easily head and shoulders above Barbarian, and that's Pearl, the prequel to X. Um, you know, up until X, I found Ty West's films to be sort of great to look at, but not very engaging. But with X, and especially Pearl, you know, we have a rich, uh, colorful world centering around a very sympathetic centerpiece in the character of Pearl. You know, she performs the standard duties of a slasher movie villain, but she's also extremely sympathetic. And as played by Mia Goth, she's just so much fun to watch. And her performance was, you know, uh, a powerhouse. You know, I love the Technicolor look to the film, too. It's so vibrant and it has that kind of, you know, Dorothy discovering Oz, all of the Wizard of Oz uh, kind of feel to it. I also didn't mind that the slasher stuff hits kind of late into the film, unlike X. As they spend, you know, I think they spend just the right amount of time and not a second more on painting a, you know, a really vivid picture of the Pearl character just before she uh, descends into complete madness and resorts to, you know, murdering those who 
see the cracks in her facade, you know, like friends and family like that. Um, and even though, you know, even though we know what becomes of Pearl with this being a prequel, there's still some suspense and, you know, and who will discover her true psyche and how they'll be punished, quote unquote, for it. So, yeah, I mean, I love Pearl, maybe even more than X, though I admit it's a very close call for me. I can't wait to see Maxine, you know, with the triple X's in the name, uh, which I believe to be set. I think it's set in 1985 or 1986. And um, I think Ty West has proven himself, you know, both with X and Pearl that he might be second to none and kind of capturing a specific time period. And if Maxine is even half as good as uh, the two films before it, I mean, we're possibly looking at a contender for uh greatest horror trilogy of all time i mean it's i've i've enjoyed x and pearl that much so uh, leading up to maxine so i'm very hopeful for maxine um but yeah thumbs way up for me for pearl i loved it excellent i still i am still waiting to watch x and then i'll watch pearl shortly after but you you were glowing uh about pearl weren't you eric yes i loved it and like like joseph um Ty West for me was like I admired his work I thought it was possibly a tad too slow for my liking but then along comes X and suddenly I'm like whoa this is really good and then Pearl just blew me away it was amazing um did you love that final shot that plays over the end credits uh Joseph yes I mean and, and the way they kind of drag it out and you're like what does this mean is, if it's, if it's so it's just odd but really utterly fantastic it's uh, very a very affecting very affecting final shot yeah um yeah, huge thumbs up. I'm going to go back now and revisit like House of the Devil and The Innskeepers and that because they're films that I kind of liked but probably had no urge to rewatch. But I, I do now after, you know, the double whammy of X and Pearl. Excellent. And uh, Nathan, what about you? Have you seen uh, either of those? Um, well, I saw X and I loved it. I thought it was great. And I really, really want to watch Pearl. I haven't had a chance to yet. Um, but I mean, it, it, so far it just seems like all the reviews for it have been glowing. So I don't see how I won't like it. Yeah. If X is, um, I mean, I, I found X to be sort of like the eaten, like eaten alive. And I think Pearl is kind of like, um, kind of like Axe, the film we covered not too long ago, but obviously better. <laughs> it does. Co- I, I'd never thought of that comparison, but it does have kind of an Axe type backdrop to it. But, um, the the vibe I got most from Pearl, apart from obviously the the nineteen forties Technicolor look, was Carrie. Um, I thought Pearl, the character Pearl, was had that sympathy about her, much like Carrie. Yeah, it might be just the accent because she has the same sort of Southern accent as Sissy Spacek, but maybe maybe that's what was informing that opinion. Yeah, I mean, but. you, she's doing these terrible things, and she's. I think she has her reasons for it because. She feels if anyone discovers who she really is, she won't amount to anything in the world. But, you know, at the same time, she's so sympathetic. And oh, I just I love that actress. She's she's phenomenal. Excellent. Well, I shall look forward to those. So what's uh, the actress's you. name, Justin? Mm, Mia Goff. Oh, spoiled. So anyway, anything else, Joseph? Uh, no, that's it for this week. Okay, all right. Well, let's, I'll rattle f- uh, through a few uh, ones I've seen. Uh, you saw Smile, didn't you, Eric? Yeah, loved it. 
Yeah, so I finally, well, I finally caught up with that, uh, and I really enjoyed it as well. I thought it was, uh, I think it's, I think it's the biggest horror film of this year, as as far as kind of box office. I think it's going to make something like two hundred million dollars or over two hundred million dollars at the international box office. I mean, at its heart, I mean, it really is a kind of retooling of the Grudge um, and the Ring uh, kind of ideas of kind of a curse being passed on from person to person. But it's done in such a entertaining way, um, uh, and it's genuinely. I found it kind of genuinely creepy, uh, and had some great kind of um, had some. It's definitely influenced, I'd say, by that those kind of uh, kind of Asian horror movies of the late nineties, early two thousands, um, where some like a film like The Eye or or The Ring or Ringu or any of those kind of moves of grudge. But um, it, it has those kind of moments of kind of, the kind of sheer terror that you kind of got in some of those those kind of Japanese and other Asian horror movies at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, I found it genuinely creepy, but also a lot of fun as well. Um, and it has a, talking of um, kind of wow endings, it definitely has a kind of real kind of out there ending. But uh, yeah, I really liked it. So um, yeah, it was good recommend. Eric, I won't give anything else away about it because it's probably, probably you don't. Uh, it's best to go into it kind of blind, I kind of guess. Uh, but um, Nathan, have you caught I was smile yet? Uh, no, I have not, um, and I definitely want to because, uh, especially after what you guys have said about it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. But just like with Barbarian, I'm purposely not reading anything about it because I kind of just want to go in blind. Yeah, for me, the best scare in in Smile was given away in the trailer. Right. I don't think I saw... Maybe I did catch the trailer a while back, but I I didn't remember the trailer very well, so I just thought it was... Yeah, I thought it was very effective. But uh, And Joseph, I know you've not caught up with that one yet. No, but um, everything I've been reading about it, like everyone's saying it's not that great, so maybe when I actually go watch it, I'll actually enjoy it. You know, I I did read a lot of the stuff on Barbarian, so there was some hype behind that, but... um, I'm going to stop where I'm at right now with Smile and just go just go watch it as it is. Okay, well, that sounds good. Um, a couple of others which are more off the radar. One uh, I saw, we watched last night, was a, a British film called All My Friends Hate Me, which, um, no, it's not the story of Eric Frelfall, Um But uh, <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Uh, yeah, well, I kind of walked into that myself. But anyway, this is a kind of horror comedy uh, that um, was recommended to me Um uh, by uh, a Facebook friend called, uh, funnily enough, called Eric, um, who uh, he um, writes the New York Times and he says it's one of his top five streaming movies at the moment, horror movies to sort of check out. Uh, and the basic premise is this guy who's just turned 31 goes to his friend's country estate um, for a reunion. It's his birthday, a reunion after they haven't seen each other. His friends haven't seen, they haven't seen each other for about five years. So there's a group of his friends from university at this big country pile. Uh, and uh, when he gets there, everything feels off. They all seem, they're all kind of like kind of friendly, but passive aggressive. And he has a run in with so this kind of scary man in this car who chases him uh and the uh, it's, it's one of those films where you don't know what's going on if, if it's a joke or if it's um he's uh, genuinely in danger or he's paranoid it's kind of one of those films that plays through so it's kind of run through with a uh, kind of a dark sense of humor as well and i quite enjoyed it it's not fantastic it's not a, i wouldn't def- definitely recommend but uh have any of you guys seen that or even heard of it i think i've heard of it it's on it's on one of the streaming platforms i think i've seen but uh, I don't know, didn't know anything about it. So sounds good. 
Sounds like the game or something. Yeah, it's worth a watch. It's kind of like one of those, uh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, and it sounds terribly pretentious when I say it's a bit like Kafkaesque, but that kind of, um, you know, he doesn't know whether what's going on, if he's really all in his head or if it's, uh, if it's, um, uh, the, you know, there's, there's a conspiracy out to get him or, you know, it just so it, it plays with that quite well. Um, so uh, the other one I saw, which um, again, it's another one of those films that you really need to go into blind, so I won't give much away, is uh, Soft and Quiet, which is um, uh, quite a sh- kind of shocking kind of movie in a lot of ways. Um, and all uh, the only thing I'll say is the, the basic premise is um, is a it's a primary school teacher attends um, a meeting in a church with uh, a group of other women to start setting up a group. And uh, things go very, very, very badly wrong um, in lots of different ways. Um, I won't give anything else away, but the only thing, other thing I'll say about it is that it's actually, uh, it purports, the whole film plays in real time. So it's all in one continuous shot, the whole 90 minutes. Now, whether or not it really was done in one continuous shot is probably unlikely, but it's certainly filmed to make it look like it is, uh, which is quite an interesting way to kind of take you on this kind of journey with these kind of characters who, who um, uh, you know, I won't give anything else away about it. It's kind of, it has a great setup and a good sort of quite a very disturbing middle section. It kind of goes off the rails a little bit towards the end, I thought, because there's this... I don't know. I don't know if you guys find this with like quite a lot of modern horror movies, or even something like House of the Dragon, um, where everything's shot in complete pitch black. It's this kind of modern thing, isn't it? I found that in um, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies as well, which is another film I watched recently, which I won't talk about now because I've already wrapped it on too much. But I've got a review for uh, written review for Hysteria Lives, which I'm going to post on my computers uh, when I've got to a working computer again. But I found that problem with that as well, that much of the movie was shot in almost near darkness. Uh, I, you know, I find it quite frustrating to, you know, be watching a screen. It takes me back to those days of the, um, trying to watch ET on, on a bootleg VHS copy that had been copied 150 times. All you can see is like what looks like a fuzzy potato walking across the screen. Um, so I, I don't know what it is about that. It's, mm. It's just turn on a light for fuck's sake. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so um, any of you guys um, soft and quiet? Is that one that's on your radars? That's another one I've never heard of. Never heard of that one. Never yeah. heard of it. It's a, I would say I'd be interested to see what you think of it because the the actual premise of it, the what the you know the driving force behind what's going on in the film is very relevant to today, um, and uh, is quite shocking, um, but. Uh, yeah, I can't say I had a good time with it, but it's kind of an interesting and disturbing movie. Uh, so, And also the whole thing of it all being done in one shot. Well, if a lot of it is it's pitch black, that's probably where they have done their cuts. Yeah, well, to be fair, to be fair, the majority, it's the last 10 or 15 minutes is kind of outside at nighttime where you can barely see anything going on at all. Well, let's um, move on to the main feature. Uh, and um, I have a trailer here for Beat Walker's Frightmare, and I'll come in back after this. Our secret, won't it? You, you, you won't tell. 
After escaping a death sentence for her hideous crimes, a seemingly rehabilitated woman settles in an isolated farmhouse with her husband, only to ache once more for blood and a crash course in surgery. Is indeed her old self back. Yes, so... Pete Walker's Frightmare is a film that I've kind of kind of got a kind of long history with. That um, it's probably one of my favourite uh, British horror movies of the nineteen seventies, and it was it was very different from a lot of horror movies coming out um, uh, from the the typical kind of Hammer type movies that were coming out in the fifties and the nineteen sixties, uh, and it doesn't have the kind of playfulness of the kind of Amicus movies. Um, uh, that uh, the anthologies uh, that were coming out in the early 1970s. So this kind of feels almost like a, not exactly a punk rock movie, but it's kind of proto-punk rock in so much it it's very very nihilistic. But it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't mean it's not enjoyable. Um, it's uh, it's a it's a you know a fun gory movie, but it's designed to shock and to gross out people, as Pete Walker said. So I've got quite a lot of background on this one, but. Um, it's kind of uh, it's although there had been because um, uh, the, the whole thing revolves around cannibalism basically, and what you have uh, you have uh, Sheila Keefe as this um, this kind of see- seemingly uh, sweet old tarot reading old lady who is also uh, a hideous cannibal who uh, enjoys dispatching hapless victims with a power drill. Uh, you've got this, um, uh, and then you've got uh, the setup with uh, her daughter. Uh, or two daughters, um, uh, who one of them doesn't realize, doesn't even know that um, her mother and father have come out of the asylum after where they've been sent after a trial in 1957, after they killed um, Andrew Sachs, who uh, in the prologue, in the black and white prologue, who of course uh, went on to be um, famous as Manuel in Forty Towers. Um, and uh, so you have this kind of uh, have the daughter who brings uh, meat, which may or may not be human meat, but is probably uh, is uh, I think well it turns out it's actually meat that she's got from the butchers, but pretending it's human meat to satiate her cannibalistic mother. Um, but it's not enough. And then Sheila Keefe uh, uses her tarot, which we heard in the beginning when she talks about the little animals that come to visit her, which just adds that kind of perfectly creepy playful feel to this movie and even though it's incredibly nihilistic and ends on an incredibly nihilistic note which is kind of something that was kind of mirrored in a film like Eden Lake which I know obviously um, Nathan hated with a passion that end of that movie and I'm going to be interesting to see what Nathan thought of the end of this movie um, but it's very very British uh, in a lot of ways uh, but it also has that kind of ultra violence especially for the time um, which kind of mirrors more something more like the films that were coming out of America uh, say or Canada like Death Weekend and Texas Chainsaw Massacre although when I was looking at this and I was sort of thinking well what came first Frightmare or Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, although they both were released in their respective countries in 1974 um, I don't think there was any they, you know the Texas Chainsaw Massacre didn't get released in the United Kingdom in London until 1976 so I think it was just complete coincidence. It's one of those funny coincidences. But I would very it would have been in a in an ideal world in another in another alternative reality, maybe there was Leatherface versus Sheila Keefe. I would have paid to see that. 
Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's a gory, shocking, fun, quirky, um, very British uh, uh, kind of um, movie, and in, in also in the ways that it plays around with themes of psychiatry and being very anti-psychiatry. Uh, and Pete Walker's been accused of being a left-wing filmmaker and a right-wing filmmaker, and I think the truth probably lies somewhere in between. Um, but uh, I've got a book uh, by called um, uh, uh, Making Mischief by Steve Chibnall, which is about the, the career of Pete Walker, and I think the title's very apt, Making Mischief, and I think it is very much what he was doing with this movie. Uh, so, yeah, it's big favorite um uh, is one of the films i do often show friends if they and it's perfect introduction to pete walker and i think pete walker said himself that if if you know for anyone if he's going to show any any film of his career to anyone to say this is what i did as a filmmaker it would be frightmare so uh yeah i think it's a, a nasty playful little gem so uh i'm looking forward to talking about it a bit more but uh yeah nathan did the ending of frightmare trouble you uh, it did, but probably in a good way. Um, I think, like you said, one thing that Frightmare really has going for it that Aiden Lake did not is that there is kind of a um, – it, it's not a completely like depressing film or anything by any means, whereas with Eden Lake, I just felt the whole movie's depressing until the very end and then even more depressing. Whereas not necessarily with this movie, uh, even though it Ducky said it does kind of end on a nihilistic note. But yeah, with Frightmare, I think it's an excellent film. I think Sheila Keith is incredible as uh, Dorothy in, in the movie. Um, you know, I love like kind of like you said, the playfulness with the little animals. And then I just love the um you know perhaps you'd like to tell me and then she kind of just mocks her you know perhaps you'd like to tell me and then her voice gets real serious he's like perhaps i wouldn't and i'm like just stuff like that i find to be you know really great in this film um i felt pretty bad for jackie uh but in all honesty if you're having to bring uh raw meat uh you know, to your uh, father and, and, and stepmother, I'm, I'm thinking, um, if you're having to bring raw meat uh, to curb her urges, then she ain't cured. Well, maybe she should eat some cured meats. Ah, very clever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm like, I think that Jackie um, probably should have just washed her hands of this whole family. Uh, I don't know why she didn't. Um, and, you know, ultimately, and spoiler alert, uh, ultimately she pays for it in the end. Um, but I thought the ending itself was very powerful, like with the dad, like blocking the door, even though he's not happy about what's about to happen. He's still like, I guess it's just a matter of he's made his choice, um, you know, and he chose his wife and, uh, and his daughter, Debbie over, uh, his daughter, Jackie. Um, and, 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 and Debbie, um, was a brat, by the way, I thought that she was very bratty. Um, I was like, um, you know, but she is a teenager. So, you know, I mean, I probably got to give her some leeway with that. And, um, you know, she obviously has picked up on her mom's, um, you know, cannibalism and murderous tendencies. So, you know, there's that too, but yeah, the, uh, the frontmare in general, I think is a fantastic movie. I think the, um, the drill scene was great. The scene with the fireplace poker was really good. 
Um, and, uh, like I said, the ending is just, uh, it's kind of, it's like a tragic and, and, and really scary, uh, way to end the film. Although I have my own thoughts about what could have happened after the credits rolled, but do you think they all just sat down and had a nice cup of tea? Yeah. I think that, you know, that, uh, Jackie probably was like, Hey, let's all sit down. Let's talk this out. And I think they were able to come to an understanding. Maybe they said, maybe um, uh, Jackie said, is it, Jackie's the good girl, is it? Or is it yes. Debbie? Yeah, Jackie said, um, cannibalism made baby Jesus cry. And then they all put down their weapons and go, we never thought about it that way. Sha-la-la-la. Sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, Pete Walker said that he'd always wanted to make a romantic comedy. So uh, that would have been his chance to finish on a, maybe a song and dance number or something. You have to admit, it would have been an unforgettable way to end the film. It would have been. It would have been. So thank you, Nathan. Anything else you want to tell us about? Is that your in- initial thoughts? Uh, that's my initial thoughts. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask Eric, um, when did you uh, change your name from uh, Kim Butcher? Oh. There's, a set, there's a little bit of Debbie in you, isn't there? No, there's not. <laughs> I don't murder people. No, but I can imagine you stropping around your your house. You always say you're in your your flat half naked, just like Debbie was in her knee high socks and her, and her knickers, little knickers. Yeah. yeah. So frightmare. Yes. Um, yeah. I do. I really like this one as well. Um, the 1970s aesthetic of of uh, you know the the look of 70s London that's captured in this film. Well, it's not London. It's supposed to be Surrey, isn't it? Which is where you're from. Uh, Justin, it's but, well. Um, it's partly filmed in London, but partly filmed. Uh, they, it's the um, the kind of cottage is in Hazelmere, which is about t- twelve miles from where I grew up. Okay, so yeah, because I think I read on was it, well Wikipedia or something that was set in Surrey, but I was then were, I was then confused why everyone sounds like they're from EastEnders. They all have Cockney accents, which uh, some of them sound quite over the top, which I think adds a, a slight comical tone to the film um i don't see it as a depressing film at all like i see it as very playful and even though the the ending is supposed to be downbeat i I love the way it sort of ends like in a halloween 3 cliffhanger where um you don't really know what's going to happen and it leaves you thinking it leaves you thinking what happens after the credits as uh as uh, nathan was discussing there um it did remind me of 1970s British television in places, which is a good thing because it's kind of was the backdrop to my youth was, uh, you know, I was born in 1974. So I have vague memories of the 70s, um, uh, but a lot of 70s television would have been playing in the background. So this kind of had a hit a nostalgic nerve in me that I quite liked. Uh, I loved watching the sort of huge denim flares and the really deep shag carpets and the orange, you know, painted interiors were great fun um it just really felt like a bay city rollers video or something at times what but uh you know a hag exploitation version of um of bay city rollers the sheila keith um, there's a bit in it where she really reminded me of the sisters from um the house with the laughing windows she had that kind of look about her uh, i love that sort of sinister slash sweet i'm gonna say granny but i was looking at the imdb i think she was only in her early to mid 50s when she made this so she's hardly be considered a granny um because i think we're all approaching that age at this stage and uh we're not grand paws i hope um 
I thought it took the cannibalism aspect of films like Deranged, probably more so than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it, it, it transplanted it into sort of um, suburban England, uh, which I thought was, I suppose it made it more relatable to me. I mean, I was living in a small town in Ireland at the time, but it still, it looked, it had a more of a sense of familiarity to me than uh, maybe Texas Chainsaw Massacre would have. Uh, the Psycho Granny wielding the power drill is quite the image. I thought it made a really fun poster for the movie as well. I love the way she's um, prefiguring Jason in Friday the 13th Part 3 with that red-hot poker. Although I'm not quite sure why the victim just stands there against the door waiting patiently for the killer to stab her in the stomach with the red-hot poker. I would certainly be trying to escape by any means. And she doesn't seem to be in a huge amount of pain when she gets, you know, her comeuppance, uh, which I thought was quite odd, but fun. Um, I thought the running time was a real lesson to the filmmakers behind Terrifier 2. This film is a slim 82 minutes, uh, and it doesn't waste any time on superfluous subplots or, you know, dragging things out needlessly. Um it's a very lean and, and and linear film, and I love that about it. Uh, and I love the the very slight implication of the supernatural because, um, I suppose it's implied that she does have um, psychic skills because her tarot readings seem quite accurate, uh, unless she, like when she's talking when she's doing the tarot reading reading for Graham at the end. She seems to know a lot about him that's 100% true. But unless maybe um, Debbie has informed her or something, I'm not quite sure. But uh, I, I, yeah, I love the film. I'm not, a, I'm not usually familiar with, with Pete Walker's output. I've seen a few of his titles, but I can't remember much. I know I've seen The Comeback, House of Whipcord and Flesh and Blood Show, but off the top of my head, I can't remember anything about them. So uh, I've always been more familiar with Norman J. Warren, who's... Uh, a filmmaker I always sort of put into the same category as Pete Walker. So I must actually venture into his oeuvre once more and, and discover. Is is Frightmare his best film, would you say, Justin? Or is there better in there? Because I loved Frightmare. I would say Frightmare is his best film. Having said that, uh, The Confessional Murders is is a lot of fun. Sheila Keefe's in that as well. Um, and a schiz- uh, Schizo is one I need to... Um, to kind of revisit uh, the comeback has got a f- um, fantastic sequence um, uh, with a, a killer running down the stairs dressed as an old hag with a with an axe, which um, is amazing. But it's it's a little bit I, it it kind of goes off the rails a little little bit. But they, there's still lots of stuff to enjoy in them. And also the flesh and blood show is is very much like pure slasher, pure proto slasher with with boobs. Because obviously Pete Walker also got his start um, in uh, filmmaking with his kind of nudies and his sex, sex comedies. Uh, so, um, and surprise, actually this one is surprising. Though. There's no nudity in this at all, is there? Well, apart from um, uh, Debbie in her knickers and knee-high socks. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, interesting. I mean, I, yeah, it's definitely worth digging back into them because I think there's a lot uh, lot of fun. I think the, the Flesh and Blood show was originally in 3D as well. So I wonder it if that was, will, yes. Mm, so I wonder if that'll ever come out in uh, in a three D version. Mm. So uh, okay, and um, is that you? Is that you? Um, That's me, Don. Yeah, you I love the, the film. Yeah, excellent. Okay, thank you, Eric. So Joseph, um, uh, what are your thoughts on Frightmare? 
<laughs> wow, this is awkward. You guys have touched on just about every talking point I had memorized. So um, I'll just touch on a few little things you didn't mention. And for me, Frightmare is full of uh, little things that I love in addition to all those scenes of the you know, grandiose proto-slasher murders. Um, it's benign, maybe, but I love the opening credits with a pile of tarot cards stacking closer to the death reading. It's between flashes of the names on the screen. Um, I thought that was a very nice touch considering Sheila Keith's pre uh, predilection for tarot cards. And speaking of Sheila Keith, I mean, she oscillates between wisdom and, you know, complete madness. And when she turns on a dime at the best of the plot, she has this eerie power to kind of terrify. I mean, I, I found her very frightening. Um, and it's got that, like Eric said, it's got that wonderful early 70s atmosphere with lots of brown, beige, and every drab shade in between. And, um, you know, in addition to some really shocking murders for the time period, there's a real menace to the buildup and the atmosphere and with the narrative. I mean, we know Sheila Keith's character is no good and is up to no good from the jump, but the film sort of, I don't know, it kind of toys with the notion that she may be a product of her environment and not completely off her rocker, even though, yes, yeah, she is. I mean, she has this sort of, like, I have to attitude about the murders rather than an I want to attitude. And um, those murders are really quite brutal. I mean, that fireplace poker beating, it really unnerved me in so much that we don't see anything explicit. And yet the way it's shot, we can feel the impact of it. And, and the same goes with that pitchfork murder late in the film. And I absolutely love the usage of uh, shadows in that sequence leading up to the kill. Um, you know, like a lot of the 70s proto slashers, it's very deliberate with the character development and buildup. Um, and Pete Walker probably does this conceit better than anyone uh, from that time period. Um, you know, like I said, you guys have touched on everything else. So yeah, I love Frightmare and found it very, I don't know, it's very lush and warm, but it's, it's kind of comforting, but in a very, like a very transcendent way while also very frightening. It's, it's really hard to explain. And that final shot, man, that was dark, so dark and kind of sad at the same time. So, you know, thumbs enthusiastically up for this one, Justin, this was a great, great pick. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm glad you all enjoyed it. I thought you probably would. So, um, well, let's move on to some backgrounds now. So, um, Nathan, what have you got for us? Nothing. Oh, okay. Eric, what about you? Well, I also have that Making Mischief book that you referenced there. So this is where my background comes from. So it's probably going to double up what you had. But um, Pete Walker had assigned David McGillivray to who was his co-writer on a lot of his projects, to make something that would push the boundaries. And the idea they came up with was uh, a film involving cannibalism. And McGillivray said that the main object was to be nastier than House of Whipcord, to invent sequences that would repulse the audience without totally alienating the censor. So uh, the early working title for the film was Covered in Blood, which uh, is very much a snakes on a plane, does what it says on the tin type of title. Um, and McGillivray worked on it during the autumn of 1973. In spring 1974 is when they uh, started shooting under the title Nightmare Farm with a not quite finished script. Uh, but they shot it over the course of 25 days and it then opened in December of 1974. Um, some of the reviews at the time, um, if you like this, have your brain examined, said Ian Christie from the Daily Express. Uh, we can all, I think, manage without Pete Walker's Frightmare, said Eric Shorter of the Daily Telegraph. 
both ridiculous and nasty, said Hugh Herbert of The Guardian. And uh, yeah, so there's lots and lots of negative reviews. Um, it was also criticised for its depiction of mental illness, um, for insinuating that it's hereditary, that uh, if you are the child of a parent with mental illness, then you are going to be mentally ill and there's nothing you can do to stop it, is basically what they read into the film. They also um, said that it had a very sort of, I suppose, right-wing... Um, attitude to um you know the reform of prisoners or the reform of the mentally ill uh it says that pete walker is obviously saying that if you are incarcerated in a mental asylum that's where you should stay because you can never be cured um although joseph says if they eat cured meat maybe um the film that the hero and the heroine go to see in the cinema is called Blowout, and it's not the De Palma one. It's uh, a French movie, also known as Le Grand Bouffe, um, which deals with a group of men who go to a villa in the French countryside where they resolve to eat themselves to death. So that was a sort of very ironic inclusion into the film. However, the dialogue that they we hear when they're in the cinema is not from that film. It's actually from Pete Walker's uh, previous film, which was House of Whipcord. Um, Rupert Davis, this was his last, yeah, this was his last feature film. He died in 1976 at the age of 60, but he was also in Dracula Has Risen from the Grave and Witchfinder General. Uh, Leo Gen, who plays Dr. Lytell, um, he was also in Lizard in a Woman's Skin, uh, Die Screaming Marianne, which is a previous Pete Walker movie, and The Bloody Judge, which is a Jess Franco movie. Um... And that's all I have, I think. And what YouTube is just start. I just hit a button on my PC and YouTube started playing really loudly in my headphones. Um, that's all I have, Justin. So, Okay, well, thank you. I, uh, just to mention, before I come to you, Joseph, just, uh, I forgot to mention Die Screaming Marianne with Suzanne George, um, which has got a fantastic title, but is a bit of a so-so thriller. It's not, it, it kind of, I, uh, I remember watching it and uh, I think it's got a great opening sequence, but it's not, not one of his best. But uh, Joseph, uh, what do you have for us? Nothing. Although I would be remiss if I didn't mention that um, that wonderful big box uh, VHS of Sheila Keith holding the drill. Man, that thing used to terrify me back in the day on video store shelves. Um, but no, I don't. I don't have any background. I do love the. Sorry, just one thing we have forgot to. I forgot to mention is I do love the dream sequence where um, Jackie's on the train and she sees. Uh, Sheila Keith in the corner with the sort of very pasty face and the red eyes. I thought that was quite creepy. That reminded me a bit like a pre kind of woman in black kind of look to her. It did, didn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was kind of, uh, that's the, uh, I think that's the image from the American, uh, I don't know if it's the, the video box, I don't know if, if the one they use in UK as well with uh, Sheila Keith with the, uh, uh, with the, the, the kind of painted image of her with the drill. Yeah, but she's a little more pasty in the film than she is on the mm. box. Kind of, it's kind of funny, but yeah, yeah. So, okay, well, no worries. Well, I, there's a couple of other things that uh, maybe you didn't mention, Eric, and I apologise if I um, repeat anything. But I kind of mentioned that the sort of, uh, I mean, Pete Walker was uh, he, he kind of um, I, he was a son of a comic, a vaudeville comic, and a showgirl. Uh, and he did actually stand up comedy when he was younger and he's he financed um all these movies he talked about the the kind of the other british um horror uh, sort of stables like uh, tygon and hammer and amicus 
and uh, he said that actually he he was like a one man show. He produced, he fundraised, and he directed all his own movies. So he didn't do any movies for anyone else apart from when he did House of Long Shadows, his last movie in nineteen eighty two or eighty three, um, for Canon, I think it was. So um, so he so all the films he made were kind of really. He said it was more like business decisions. He's more of a businessman than a filmmaker, which is surprising at how well the films kind of play out. And he kind of started with films, um, uh, kind of sexy schoolgirl movies, typical those kind of early sixties or mid sixties kind of movies, and then into sort of sex comedies like Call It Carol. Uh, and he said he moved into these kind of what he termed kind of terror picks because. Uh, with the advent of kind of um, more hard, there wasn't really hardcore movies in the UK because you couldn't have you couldn't have hardcore movies showing the cinema. But the um, those kind of sexy comedies from the late sixties that he was making uh, kind of were a bit passe by that point. And he said that Hammer um, again was kind of a bit passe, and he kind of wanted to explore a more kind of um, you know actually kind of go for more of the jugular, which is, is why I kind of mentioned it was a bit more like proto punk. It kind of had that kind of slightly anarchic feel to it uh and as you mentioned he um he worked with david mcgilvery um on the, on this and came up the idea uh, or david mcgilvery came up the idea of cannibalism uh which potentially was influenced by the um the, the kind of andes um the, the incident in the with the olympic team wasn't it who crashed in the andes and ended up having to eat uh, the corpses of um, some of their fellow team members which was turned into a couple of movies including Alive I think and I can't remember the name of the other one and I'm not sure if I mentioned it but there's that there's fantastic um, uh, movie Deafline from the year before about cannibals on the underground in London have you guys seen that? I mean, it's got Donald Pleasance yeah, in it wasn't yeah wasn't it was that 73? Was I thought that was 71 or seventy. Well, it, it was. I mean, what it came out. It was a year before he started working on this movie. So I. So I'm not sure if he was influenced by by that. But if you have not seen Deathline, and I think it was called called Raw Meat in the United States. Um, and I think it's got Donald Pleasance in it, hasn't it? I think, if memory serves me well. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a great sort of British horror movie set on the underground. Um, so uh, the apparently the original script he came up with was the the original idea was to have the daughter killing men uh, and bringing their corpses to the cannibal mother, um, but they kind of changed it around uh, to make uh, Jackie more of an innocent one, well, less the innocent party, but less more sympathetic. Uh, and originally the um, it was they were going to set it at a fun fair. Uh, but uh, the, the whole thing of funfair and the opening sequences in the black and white prologue is set at this funfair, but it was cheaper to film in the farmhouse. And it kind of adds, I think the farmhouse adds that kind of weird um, uh, kind of juxtaposition between uh, sort of the cosy English farmhouse with the, the fire going in the, in the you know, the, uh, the open fire going and the kind of the, uh, you know, the old lady wearing a shawl and sort of, you know, with that kind of ultraviolence is kind of quite a jarring juxtaposition. Um, the, the, the term that the doctor uses for, um, uh, psychopathic cannibalism is caraba, car, I can't, I can't say this word, but it's carabanthropy or thropy, um, which, uh, is completely made up and isn't in any medical dictionary. Um, as I mentioned, Hazelmere is 12 miles away from where I grew up in Guildford. And so back in 1975, I would have been probably eating, uh, Marmite soldiers while watching Jim will fix it. So, um, and Basil Brush. Can't say so, his name. So I know. Well, I didn't say his name, did I? But, uh, well, I did, I kind of guess. But anyway, more innocent times, perhaps, back then. Um, 
I, I Pete Walker said, um, obviously they set out to make a shocking movie, um, and he he said whether it's true or not, he said the pregnant wife of one of the lighting cameramen threw up on set during a murder sequence. Um, the uh, the only other thing I don't think you've you've mentioned, well, you mentioned about the negative press uh, that um, I think it's David McGilvery came up with the idea of, or one of them came up with the idea of actually using the negative um, uh, comments uh, on uh, on the poster for the movie to sort of try and sell it. And in fact, actually, one of the other actresses was not mentioned. She was quite popular at the time, but um, who plays uh, Jackie's friend uh, Merle, played by Fiona. Curzon, um, I found an old newspaper article where she was being interviewed um, uh, about her, about what she was doing, and they mentioned this film, and uh, she kind of tried to distance herself from it, saying she uh, she was only in non horror scenes, so didn't realise how gruesome and violent the movie was. But uh, the um, sadly, the film wasn't a great success. It made half the amount that House of Whipcord had made, but that was partly down to the because um, uh, it's released just for Christmas, nineteen seventy four, and uh, during a, a kind of a bombing campaign by the IRA in London, uh, which uh, apparently put off a lot of people from central London coming to going out to cinema. So it caused it, it meant the film was wasn't nearly as successful and probably didn't roll out to um, as much of the rest of Britain as it might have happened um, otherwise. But as I mentioned, um, Pete Walker says that he thinks this is his best film uh, and he followed it with uh, House of Mortal Sin, or aka The Confessional Murders, which had a very similar approach, but uh, taking aim at the Catholic Church. Uh, and that one has got um, Susan Penhalligan and, oh, I can't remember the name now, the one that was on the, the Colbys. Or Stephanie the, Beecham? Yeah, Stephanie Beecham uh, is is in that, and that's definitely worth a watch. So if you, do, if you have watched Frightmare for the first time, uh, and have a taste for his movies and confessional murders is is kind of similar uh kind of feel to it and includes a scene where the priest kills somebody with one of those instant uh burners on uh, on a on a rope or on on a chain which uh having been brought up catholic it uh, obviously makes me very happy to see uh or being very lapsed catholic makes me very happy to see uh uh, priest doing terrible things. So one one actor we didn't mention actually is the opening victim is played by Andrew Sachs, who went on to play Manuel on Faulty Towers in a kind of a racist role, you know, I suppose in retrospect. Yeah, it was funny actually. Just as an aside, living in Spain is apparently um, uh, when they showed that here, they changed his character to being Portuguese. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, there's no love lost between the Spanish and the Portuguese, is there? No. So, okay, right. Well, that was Frightmare. So hopefully, uh, if you've um, not seen it, well, hopefully you have watched it ahead of us talking about it. And if you've enjoyed it, then uh, do check out some of his other movies. And I'm sure we'll get around to those uh, at some point soon. So, um, Joseph, what was the consensus? It seemed to get quite a lot of feedback on the Facebook page. Not a whole lot. I mean, 23 comments uh overall for Frightmare. Um, Ryan Clark writes a masterpiece. In my view, it's one of the very best horror films of the 70s. Sheila Keith was magnificent. And James Pakman says maybe controversially, not good. That is controversial because I love all of Pete Walker's films. But uh, you can follow us on the book, the gram and the twit. Join us on Patreon for exclusive access to bonus shows and fan commentaries. This month, we're doing a commentary for another thriller, killer thriller, uh, with the Slumber Party Massacre. And our email address is all in the name, all one word, at gmail.com. 
Okay, excellent. Well, let's see uh, what kind of frights Eric's got for us this time. It's my joke of the week. It's so, so Why could Sheila Keith's character not use a large monkey native to West Central Africa to kill her victims? Because <laughs> she's a lady, and that's a man drill. <laughs> Sorry, it's a very random sound effect because I can't actually see what I'm doing, so I had to, had to randomly <laughs> click on one. But uh, <laughs> that was that was amazing, Justin. It made me laugh. What the side whistle? Man drill. Yes. <laughs> was a whistle? Well, Eric, here's the problem with that joke. It's it's a very complicated joke, and I've never heard of a mandrill. So it's it, a large monkey native to West Central Africa. God, that's like the most convoluted joke you've ever told, Eric. Well, I like to think I'm the Christopher Nolan of jokes. That was <laughs> that was my tennis. Is that out, is um, that because it went on for t- uh, four hours, and it was convoluted and worked on many many levels? <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. Well, um, oh, we have some feedback, don't we? I think. Oh, we do. We do. And this is from um, James Packman as well, how you just mentioned on the um, on the uh, forums on the Facebook page. Now, let me see. Where is it? Okay, here we go. Uh, this is from James. He says, hi, from New Zealand. Enjoyed your recent open house episode, even though the movie itself is an abysmal mess. Uh, it was great to hear you recently seen in this episode, as they're all recent slashers or elements of slashers, and all from 2022. Pearl, Terrifier 2, Smile, Terror Train remake, all of which I have also seen very lately via other methods, as Terrifier 2 or Pearl never got shown on cinemas in this country. I don't know what other methods he's referring to. Um, Would it be fair to say that 2022 is one of the strongest years in the slasher genre in recent times? A superb non-slasher film I'd recommend is Fall, as someone who is petrified of heights, the film almost did me in. Uh, Perhaps some films for your consideration for an episode is the French home invasion film Them, blatantly ripped off by the Americans and made into The Strangers, or the extremely tense and brutal Spanish film Kidnapped. Kind regards, James Packman. Um, Kidnapped. Spanish film? I'm I'm not sure I've heard of... Okay, well, I've never heard of it, but if Nathan hates it, it must be bad. It's basically Eden Lake. Okay, well, I have no interest in anything like that, so... Oh, I see. Here, I just Googled it here. It's 2010. It's from... Yeah, we've mentioned Fall um, on Recently Seen in, in the yeah. past couple of episodes. And, I loved uh, Fall, yeah. I think Justin may have picked them for one of our top threes, possibly. I think it was the... Over on Patreon, yeah. Over the, uh, 2006, wasn't it? I did, so I don't know, James um, may probably hadn't had, uh, heard it by the time uh, uh, that came out, but... Uh, is anything else left for us to say? I'm trying to remember. What are we covering next time? Yeah, and I sincere apologies for this. I was kind of scrambling around, like, what have we not picked yet? And uh, the first thing that I saw on my shelf was, I'll always know what you did last summer. <gasps> Sorry, that's okay. Well, because we did do the uh, we did commentaries for the eighty eight releases of I know what you did last summer, and I still know what you did last summer um, with a fantastic box set that we said about out was a year ago, two years ago, and we were invited to do a commentary for I'll always know what you did last summer, uh, and we declined. So it's going to be it could be interesting. So we can actually um, 
really say what we think of it. And I haven't, I haven't actually watched it since I saw it when it came out. So I know it is part of that 88 release, fantastic release of the three films. So I'm actually quite looking forward to seeing if watching it on a fantastic Blu-ray will make up for its shortcomings. Make up for it being a bag of shite. <laughs> well, you don't know, Eric, do you? You don't know yet. No, we don't know. Well, we do. No, no, we don't. But anyway, it'll be interesting to cover. And also, um, yeah, we can talk about in context of the other films and whether or not I'm kind of surprised. Well, of course, there was the the, the TV show, wasn't there? Which also got cancelled after the first season. And from what I hear, for good reason. Yeah, well, it could be interesting to see and to see whether or not that franchise is is dead or if it's uh, uh, going to come back at any point. And given the the boffo box office of the Scream, uh, you know, kind of the reigniting the Scream franchise, I'd be surprised if this one doesn't make a reappearance at some point. But anyway, it's what, regardless of how good the merits of how good the film is or how bad it is, it'll be a fun one to talk about and hopefully listen to. So, yeah, so join us next time on the Hysteria Continues. And we're, what we're going to play out with, well. I thought long and hard about which Susan the Banshee song this would I could play out with Eric because I know how much you love them. So I'm going to go with Carousel from Peep Show because obviously that starts at a fun fair and I thought it was nicely fitting. It tenuously fits. Absolutely <laughs> tenuous. <laughs> uh, anyway. Wow, well, it's like he's tenuous with his jokes and you're tenuous with your music choices. I know. Well, I'm going to tenuously get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on Hysteria Continues. So say goodbye to the good people. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Watchful eyes you stop.
start to swoon Oh, painted violin, lyric hue The snarling horse that waits for you Its motor words and colors curl Inside your head the monsters work Yeah.